0: Hi, I'm Pastor James, and I want to welcome you to the weekend teaching ministry of Sunrise Church in Hillsborough, Oregon. Sunrise is a church devoted to being a safe place to hear a life-changing message. Our vision is to lead people in a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. And so each weekend, we share a message of hope from God's Word, the Bible. Now, if you'd like to know more about discovering and growing in a relationship with the God who loves you, please visit our website at www.isunrise.com. I-S-O-N-R-I-S-E dot com Now from there you can learn how to connect with the God who loves you Grow along the journey of life with others Develop a heart to serve the least, the last, and the lost And then learn how to lead other people to know Jesus Christ Now, on to our weekend message Um... But I'm excited to be here. I'm excited to be a part of this journey with you guys. Uh, my name's Taylor, if this is your first or a couple times in the door. Uh, I'm the serve pastor here. I get to do a lot of our weekend stuff, uh, seeing, overseeing a lot of the teams that are out there greeting you in the rain, holding the umbrella for you, um, just absolute servants, and I love getting to be a part of the journey with them as well. So uh, excited you're here. I want to just start the morning in prayer. I want to invite God into this place and invite him in and allow us to just kind of. To leave whatever we've got going on up here there so uh, just pray with me if you would so Lord I just thank you so much that uh, we would that we would come into a place and that you would uh, you would meet us here God and we have all kinds of things going on in our lives and a lot of things that we should be doing or should be at or should be concentrating on Lord and I just I pray that we would just surrender those to you today And we would just hand them over with open arms and that by surrendering it to you, that you would meet us right where we're at. I believe this is a message for no matter where we are in our journey of life, that it would speak to us, God. That we would know you more when we walk out of here. That we would um, enter into even a deeper relationship with you when we walk out of here. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, So if you've kind of been around the last couple months and and me preaching... um, you know the story about my dog. You know my, you know my wife. My beautiful wife who was up here before me, who gave me an excellent introduction, by the way. Um, handsome, so I don't get called that all the time, but I appreciate it when I do. Um, and, and you know about my uh, leaps of faith that I've taken along the way in my career path and where God has shown up in my life. But today, I really want to share with you kind of how I got here and how God pursued me, regardless of where I was at and the decisions that I'd made. Because that is honestly that God is in pursuit of all of us. And so I think it's important to go back to this time in my life when I was just a wee little lad. And I was, (laughs) grew up in a really good home. Grew up with two loving parents that loved each other. And I grew up with two younger brothers where we fought and we would wrestle it out. But we were brothers and we loved each other. So, and they were younger than me. So I always had the advantage. Um, Not anymore. But I did and so I I grew up in this really great family really we grew up going to church every Sunday um believing in God knew God existed. I you know, not everyone had that household, but I did and uh You know, I would say I went to church more than most people, actually, because it was my only way to school in the morning. I went to a private school, and so my parents would have to drop me off at my grandparents just down the road from the school. And I would hop in the car every morning with my grandpa, and we would we would drive down to church because church was at 8 o'clock, and school started at like 8.45 or something like that. So I'd go to church with them for like 25 minutes every morning. They were short services. And so I was averaging, you know, my average church attendance was like six times a week. So I was doing pretty good, if that mattered to anyone, but it doesn't really at all. So um, not really important to story either, but it's really important to know that about me, at least. How about that? So, uh, But I uh, had this really good growing up in the faith background, really believing that God existed, knew God was there for me um, and whatnot. But as I kind of progress through life and the journey of life gets to all of us, I watched some dreams kind of fall apart along the way. And we all do. As we kind of progress through life, we watch kind of the one dream that we once had falls off, it falls apart, and so then we put a new dream up there. And I'd say it's a lot like, honestly, the idols in our lives, because God will wipe them out, and then we have a tendency to go back up there and put another one on the altar. And that's kind of how we like to roll sometimes as humans. And I did that. I did that for a long time when I was younger. I would constantly be putting a new idol up there, a new dream up there that really didn't align with God's vision for my life. And eventually I found myself uh, hitting rock bottom in my senior year of college. And I was making some pretty poor decisions, you could say. Uh, I was really impacting the people. It was impacting people very negatively around me. I was hurting them beyond measure and it wasn't my intent it wasn't the thing I was going with my gut I was making decisions out of feeling and I was hurting people because I was pursuing what I thought was the best thing for me because I only had me at the focus of my life that's all I cared about I was making decisions in in regards to Taylor because that's all that matters is Taylor and I was living in a not not in real reality at least and uh I started hurting, I hurt Annie and we were dating at the time. At that point, it was like three and a half years, four years we've been dating. And I, I was ruining that relationship. I was ruining one of my really good relationships with a friend at that time. And I was, and I was hurting other people in the process as well because I was just concerned about myself. And when we get selfish, we really start impacting others around us without necessarily knowing along the way and so eventually I find myself in this spot where I'm just kind of I realize I'm in a hole I'm looking up and I I realize how deep I am and I'm going holy cow I've never been here before like I've never been in this moment that is impacting me so desperately and it's my fault I know it I got here it was my decisions but I'm looking at and I go I don't really want to be here anymore I don't, I've hurt too many people. I've made a lot of bad decisions. I have impacted a lot of lives. And so all of a sudden as I hit bottom and I realize I'm in this place that I don't want to be, I become, over. I'm overcome with anxiety. I enter into this deep season of depression. I wake up every morning and I'm thinking, do I really want to go through the day? Like it feels better just to lay in bed and to, kind of take all my past decisions and put them on repeat and relive them while I lay there in bed. Because that's the only thing I know how to do. I don't know how to go forward because I'm stuck because I'm reliving the past. I'm reliving every mistake I've just made in the last couple months. And I felt so unprepared because I'd never been here before. And it was my fault. I wasn't. Denying that I was feeling the guilt I was feeling the shame And I was living in it And it was my reality And I just wanted to give up I'm like just make it go away And so I you know I tried to pull close to God In this season I was going in for the band-aid fix I'm like come on God I need you to show up in my life I need you to be there in my life Like I really need you right now And I started kind of seeking him out a little bit But he wasn't going to give me the band-aid fix So I'm like I you know I don't know I really don't know because it's about me still. And so as I look in the season of just not wanting to move forward and don't know what to do, I, I'm to this state of unpreparedness, to be honest with you. I don't know how to go forward because I've tried everything. I've seen a counselor. I've done it all. And I don't know how to take steps forward. I'm unprepared for what's ahead. And many of us in this room are unprepared for what is ahead in our life. And we're unprepared for where we're at in life. And maybe it's as simple as just, you've got a new, you got a new child on the way and you're feeling unprepared for what parenthood's going to bring you. And you don't really know what to expect. You're not really sure. Maybe it's your third kid on the way or your fourth or your fifth. And you're like, "I, I know how to handle two. I know how to handle three. I don't know if I know how to handle the next one. Or maybe you're in a place in your finances that you've never been before. Like you are, you are at the bottom of them. And you're like, I, I, I don't know if I'm going to make it. I don't know. I, I don't know what steps to take. I've always lived my life this way. I'm just kind of making it by and I, I don't, I'm unprepared for what's ahead. Or maybe you got a lot of money and you're like, I'm unprepared for this moment. I'd never been here before. Maybe it's a relationship. Maybe there's some relationships that are really messing with you right now that are causing turmoil and tension and struggle in your life and you've never been here before with some of these people. You've never been to this point. And you don't know how to forgive, you don't know how to let go, you don't know how to move forward and you're here and maybe it's family and you're unprepared for what move to take next, what step to take next. Maybe it's in your marriage and you're struggling there and you're, you're not really sure What step to take? What move to make? What's going to take you to that next step? How are you going to restore your marriage? How are you going to get it back to how it used to be? Or maybe it's never been there and you're like, will it ever get there? And you're unprepared. Or maybe you're like the story that I'm sharing with you is like you made the decision. You made some really bad decisions, some really rough ones, and you find yourself where you're at. You, You put yourself in this place. No one else. And you're not trying to cast the blame elsewhere maybe you are but you're unprepared because you've never been here before and the reality is we're all unprepared in life because we start off at one point and we keep progressing and we keep getting older and we keep moving forward and God keeps allowing different things to happen in our life and we feel unprepared it's something new each day. It's something coming in that we didn't expect. I didn't know I hurt that person. I didn't know I did. And you're unprepared for the steps ahead. You're unprepared for whatever this journey of life is throwing at you. We are. Something new each day. We can all relate to that. Whether it's simple or whether it's very complex. We're unprepared. And that's what Jesus is going to hit on today. He's going to talk about this idea of preparation of being prepared we're continuing off of last week where pastor james spoke about the end times and are you ready because it's coming and jesus is shifting his focus a little bit today and he's going to go to this idea of are you prepared because it's coming and we're going to enter into this parable of 10 bridesmaids today and jesus doesn't waste any time telling us that five were prepared and five weren't prepared 10 in total and one of the things I want to start out with is giving you a little context to the wedding itself, and a wedding feast, and how it would progress, and how we'd go through it. There's three phases, and so in the first phase of the wedding it would be the actual engagement, and the fathers of both the bride and the groom would arrange this. They would arrange for their marriage to take place. That's the first phase, and how this would go down. And then as you kind of move to the next phase, the second phase of the wedding, it would be the actual exchanging of vows. They would get together and they would exchange their vows. And from that point on forward, they are officially married. They're officially married at that point. But the catch is that they actually wouldn't spend their life together at that point. They actually wouldn't go spend the night together. They wouldn't do any of that because the husband, the groom, he would go away and he would start building a life for them. He would go and prepare the house. He would establish himself in a job so that he would be ready to bring this bride home to this place that he was preparing. And so that was the second phase. And this would last a couple months up to a year. So not really like how we do it today. And then as we kind of move on to this last phase of the wedding, we have the groom who's finally ready. He comes. He comes with his groomsmen. He arrives at the bride's house. And all the bridesmaids are sitting there waiting for him to arrive. And, they, and he got, and the groom grabs the bride and they head off to the wedding feast and they're going to go celebrate and they're going to party and they're going to have a great time. And it'd be a huge thing. The people in the town, everyone would know about it. It'd be a great honor to be invited to this wedding. And so they would and they go and feast and all night and they would celebrate and they would go on. And then at the end of it all, they would eventually at the end of the feast, they would be together. They would go and live their life. They would go and go and celebrate and live their marriage out. And so what Jesus is going to focus in on today is this last part, this third part of the whole wedding process. He's kind of focusing in on this. And as we enter into the story today, we're going to be in Matthew 25 and we're we're going to go to verse one here. So it says the kingdom of heaven will be like 10 bridesmaids who took their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. The five who were foolish didn't take enough olive oil for their lamps, but the other five were wise enough to take along extra oil. Five are prepared, five aren't prepared. And they didn't bring enough oil to light their lamps, is what he's saying, right from the get-go. And it's like, why is this a big deal? Well, I want to remind you that we're talking about a groom coming, and he's grabbing his bride, and he's taking them to the feast. And what Jesus is symbolizing here is that he's the groom, and he's coming back. He's coming back, and he's going to grab his bride, the church, and he's going to take them to this great wedding feast in eternity. And so the importance of what this third part of the wedding, how it would take place is that it would happen at night. It would happen at night. So it was important that you had a lamp so you could light the way you could see where you're going, but also it would, it would let people know that you are, you're a part of the wedding party. You're a part of this. So as people are and you're out and you're walking to this wedding feast and the whole party's going on, you're making a bunch of noise. You're like, yes, the wedding's coming. And people are like excited because the wedding feast is happening. It's a big deal in these small towns. And they look and they say, oh, those are all the people a part of the party. But they came unprepared. And so as we kind of move forward in the story, we get to verse 5 and 6. And it says, when the bridegroom was delayed, they all became drowsy and fell asleep. At midnight, they were aroused by the shout. Look, the bridegroom is coming. Come out and meet him. And so what we're referring to here is that Jesus' return is a little bit delayed. You know, we don't know when it's going to be. We're sitting here and we, we, we need to be preparing for Jesus to come and return. To come and bring his church to the wedding feast. And it's a little later than we expected. And so as we continue on to verse 7, it says, All the bridesmaids got up and prepared their lamps. Then the five foolish ones asked the others, Please give us some of your oil because our lamps are going out but the others replied we don't have enough for all of us go to a shop and buy some for yourselves but while they were gone to buy oil the bridegroom came then those who were ready went in with him to the marriage feast and the door was locked they weren't prepared weren't prepared and so how do the question i think that comes up is how do we prepare for jesus coming again how do we prepare for that how do we prepare for eternity how do we truly prepare for that moment in time? And I want to kind of go back to the story I started with you guys is, is that I was, I was at the end of my rope. As I shared, I was kind of in this dark place. I was, I've done everything. I've tried everything that I can possibly do. I really have. And none of it's working. And so I sit there and, Annie's walking by my side through all of this. We're just dating and it's, it's crazy, but I know how God works and God is beautiful in the way he works. And we're sitting there one night and I'm just telling Annie, I just, I just want it to go. I just want it to pass. I want it. I want to be out of this dark season, of place of this fog and this constant replay. I just want the repeat button to turn it off. That's all I want. I want to move on with my life. I want to stop being in the past. I want to I want to move forward. And so Annie asked me this question. She goes, have you asked Jesus into your heart? And I don't really like, I don't really know. And she's mentioned it before. I don't really know what that means. And is you know, and I, she probably said it a couple different ways. Not only did I ask Jesus into my heart to have, I surrendered my life to Christ. Have you surrendered your life? And I'm like, I don't what, I don't really know what that is, but. You know, I'm kind of like, if it'll work, I'll do it. You know, that's that's kind of where I'm at right now. I'm like, I'll do anything. And so, while I didn't quite understand what this whole concept of surrendering your life was in the moment, I I didn't quite get it. I didn't understand it, but I knew that it was about leaning on God and trusting God. And so Annie sat there and I'm in tears and I'm just like crying out and I'm just bawling because I just want it all to go away. And she says, All right. I'm kneeling down. It's in my college dorm room. It's April 20th. And we're sitting there and she's like, just say these words. Just follow me through these words. Pray these words to God. And so I sit there and I I pray and I say, Lord, I I believe in Jesus Christ. that he went to the cross and he died for my sins, past, present, and future. All those sins. And I believe that as he died on the cross for those sins, he eventually rose again three days later and he conquered death, the greatest fear, conquered death. And I surrender my life to you. I surrender. I surrender it to Jesus. I give it all to you. I'm done doing it my own way. I'm done. I can't do it. I'm done carrying it. I can't. And I didn't really know exactly what was going on. I didn't get it. it. Nothing went away in that moment. None of the darkness, none of the anxiety, the depression. It was still there. It was still there. And it took a while, it took a season, but God was in hot pursuit of me. God was on my tail and he was chasing me down because that's what his grace does. (sighs) And so how do you prepare for eternity? How do you prepare for Jesus coming back? You got to surrender your life to Christ. Because at that moment of surrender... At that moment, what he's referring to in this, what the oil is symbolic of, of not having enough oil, would have been the Holy Spirit. Because at the moment of surrender, at that moment you give your life to Christ and make Him the Lord of your life, that is the moment that the Holy Spirit comes and indwells and makes its home inside of you. That's the moment. And so what we as a church believe is that there's one God. There's one God, and He is the God, but He is in three persons. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And as we've been traveling through Matthew, as we've been watching the book of Matthew unfold for the last year, we have watched Jesus and how he has interacted the entire time. How he has taught his disciples, how he's told parables, how he's encountered the religious leaders. We've watched all of it. And sometimes we each got to watch him communicate with the Father. The Son and the Father are communicating. But at some point in the story, Jesus tells his disciples, he's saying, hey, it's better for you that I go. It's better for you. It's better that I go to the cross and I die for the sins of the world. Because guess what? I'm going to send you someone. I'm going to send you the advocate. I'm going to send you the counselor. I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit can live inside of you. And you know what the Holy Spirit helps us do? When we surrender our life to Christ and he comes in, it helps us know God. He helps us know God. Helps us know God. Because God's living inside. And so I think the question today is, why is that Holy Spirit so important, right? Why is it so important? And I kind of already covered it, but Jesus is, says it here in these last couple of verses in verse 11, he says, later, when the other five bridesmaids returned, they stood outside calling, Lord, Lord, open the door for us. But he called back, believe me, I don't know you. So you too must keep watch for you do not know the day or hour of my return. The people, the bridesmaids who don't have the oil, don't have the Holy Spirit, says, "I don't know you. I don't know you." And what I don't, what I don't quite understand, and as I look at this passage, I'm going, "Man, they thought they knew God." These bridesmaids show up on the, they thought they knew the Lord. They thought they knew him, and the Lord looks at them. He's got, to come to the, I don't know you. And at last I checked, the relationship was two people who knew each other. And so by the Lord, Lord, not knowing them must mean there was never a relationship to start with. Which means that there must have been no Holy Spirit present inside of them. And so my question for you today is, do you know God? Do you really know God? Does God know you? And I'm not talking about believing that God exists, because that's where I was. I'm not talking about believing in some being in the sky. I'm not talking about a genie in a lamp that's there for when life gets hard. I'm not talking about someone that you just go to when life gets hard and then leave them there once life gets better. I'm talking about, do you know God? Do you have a relationship with God? I hate to break it to you, but if this one hour a week is your only time that you are spending filling your spirit with God, then I'd say that's probably not enough. Church cannot be a place, the only thing, the only thing. It can't be the only thing If you're with your avenue to God, your communication with God, it can't be because that's one hour out of 168 in a week. I I love church. I love being here. I love getting to worship with my family together here in this place, but it cannot be the only thing. It it can't be your only communication with God. It can't be the only time you spend with God. There's got to be more to that. And I would, would, to go even deeper than that, I would say that a relationship with God has so many things that it entails. I love reading my Bible every morning. I love reading it. Some days I miss every once in a while, but I love reading it. It's the living word of God. God speaks to me through it. I see him unfolding the stories. I watch it go on. It's, It's the living word of God. But if it's the only thing you do, I would question where you're at with God as well. And if you spend time with people in your small group and it's the only thing that you do, that they speak into you and they tell you about how they know God, but that's all there is, I would question where you're at in your relationship with God. And maybe you have some strong mentors and some godly people in your life that pour into you. And I would say... That's awesome, that's great I have them too, I have a small group I read the word, I'm there with you But God is bigger than just Putting them in a box of an hour a day He's bigger than that I'm not telling you don't read your Bible I'm not telling you not to go to a small group I do all that stuff because it is important to my spiritual growth It is important for me to know God in those avenues And for him to reveal himself to me Through people and through the word of God I need that, it's got to be there But there's got to be more Because that's only a part of the day And then I go through the rest of the day And I go where's God Because I believe that God wants to come in And be a part of every detail of your life He wants to show up with you at work He wants to encounter your office, your cubicle He wants to be there at your computer with you each day He wants to live those moments with you But he has to be invited in God wants to go to work with you. God wants to hop in the car on your drive to work and be experienced in that moment with you. And on the way back home too. God wants to enter into the relationships that you're struggling with. He wants to be there in those moments and those tensions and the places you've never been before that you're wrestling with. And you don't know if you can forgive them and you don't know if you can forgive yourself. And he wants to say, invite me in because I want to be a part of that. And in your marriage where you're struggling in the same place where you, you feel like you need restoration, but you're not really sure how to get there, God wants to be invited in. He wants to be invited into all the details of our life. He wants to go on a journey with us through the day from the moment we wake up to the moment that we rest our head. And he probably wants to be there while we're asleep as well. Because <laughs> that's who our God is. Our God is a relational God. He created you so that he could have a relationship with you. He wants you reading the Bible. He wants you doing all this stuff. He wants you to experience him every area of your life. Every area. Man, he wants to show up. But the thing that keeps us from entering into a relationship with God, the thing that is the biggest roadblock to entering into this with him is sin. I mean, it was perfect in the beginning. God created Adam and Eve. It was perfect. It was transparent. There was intimacy. There was no shame. There was no guilt. There was no sin. But all of a sudden, sin came. Sin came into the picture. And then that complete intimacy, that transparency was no longer there. And so that's what we do in our lives. We we kind of... We, we don't recognize our sin, if I'm honest, if we're being honest. We don't recognize our sin all the time. And we kind of take a look around, we look at the people around us, and we, we kind of say, hey, I'm, do, I'm doing pretty good. I'm looking at them, yeah, okay. And I'm looking at them, I'm doing good. I got good moral constructs for the most part. I'm living a pretty good life. That's who I was. I was basing my performance in life off what the other people around me were doing. But God knew that when sin entered the world, He, he sent them the law, six hundred and thirteen commandments to follow. And I mean, let's be honest—that we can't do that. Can we just be real? We can't do that. We might be able to get a couple. We might be able to get majority of them, but we can't get all of them. That's that's the depravity of our nature. We can't live a perfect life. We can't live a life that is in right standing with God on our own. We can't do it. It's not possible. And because we can't do it, there can't be no relationship with God. So hence the need for Jesus Christ, the son, to go to the cross and to die for those sins and to be the ultimate sacrifice so that when Jesus goes to that cross and he dies and he he conquers sin, he conquers death and sends the Holy Spirit, we can enter into a relationship with the father. We don't have to live in self-works anymore. We don't have to live in this idea that we have to do it. That's gone. It's no longer here. We don't have to do anything. We don't have to look around and compare. We don't have to play that game because you know why? Because we have a savior. We have a God who loves us, who created us just the way we are with all our defects and things that we don't like, but he loved us. He created us that way. You don't have to try to attain perfection. It was already attained at the cross. And so, you know what? Paul had something to say about this. He's like, he, Paul lived in this idea of self-works. He lived there trying to live up to perfection in the standard of the law. That's what Paul did. And so as Paul's writing Philippians, we get to verse or to chapter three here. He says, I'm looking at my self works. I'm looking at everything I've achieved and what I've done in this former life that I lives. He says, yes, all things I once thought were so important are gone from my life. Compared to the high privilege of knowing Christ Jesus as my master firsthand, everything I once thought I had going for me is insignificant. Dog dung. I've dumped it all in the trash so that I can embrace Christ and be embraced by Him. I didn't want some petty, inferior brand of righteousness that comes from keeping a list of rules when I could get the robust kind that comes from trusting Christ, God's righteousness. Man. Who's right? Right. I love Paul because Paul was that guy. He, he's a lot of us. I tried. I tried to do it myself. I tried to pull myself out. But Paul's sitting here going, it's not, it's worth nothing. And why is it worth nothing? What is it compared, comparatively worth nothing to? Knowing Christ Jesus. Knowing Christ Jesus. That's a relationship. Knowing Christ. And then he goes even further on in there and he goes, I want to embrace Christ. And be embraced by him. That's a relationship. That's intimate. That's coming in and and embracing Christ and then being embraced. And then trusting Christ. Man, a relationship has to have trust in it. Trusting that the sacrifice on the cross was enough. That Jesus going to the cross, that's what makes us righteous. That's what allows us to come into intimacy with God, a relationship with God. And so, my question for you today, again, is do you know God? Do you know God? Do you live in the rhythm of knowing Christ Jesus, embracing Christ and being embraced, and then trusting? Knowing, embrace, and trust. Do you live in that rhythm? Do you live in that place? This isn't to tell you that you're not good enough today. That's not where this message goes. This message goes to tell you that there is so much more that you're not experiencing. That there's this place, this avenue that's so much greater than anything that's going on in your life, but it starts with the relationship of truly knowing God. Truly knowing, having this relationship. Does he know you? Does he have this relationship with you? Knowing, embracing, and trusting. Are you living in that rhythm? Are you living in this place? Every day. God does not want to just be in a moment in your life. He doesn't want to be condensed to an hour a week. He doesn't want to be condensed to that. He wants to go on a journey with you through the day. Are you allowing that? Are you knowing him? Are you embracing him? Are you trusting him? Are you living in that sweet spot? Because that's where we all need to be. It's where we all need to be. All of us need to be in this spot. And I know some of us are, we have sealed our eternity. We have the Holy Spirit alive and well in us. And we are knowing God constantly, daily. And I get that. But are you living in the rhythm of knowing and embracing and trusting God? Are you living in that rhythm? Are you living in that spot where God is, can come into your life? Are you inviting him into the details? I'm out there working on something the other day. Some new tables that are going to be in the church. And I'm just, I'm wrestling with a lot of things up here. I'm wrestling with them. I'm, I'm fighting with them. And I'm like, I, I don't know. And as I'm sitting there and I'm doing a pretty mindless job and doing nothing, I, I know that God is just nudging me saying, are you going to invite me in? are you going to invite me? And in? I know you're wrestling with some things, Taylor. I know that you, you don't really know what to do or how to take your step forward. You kind of feel unprepared for this spot. But he says, are you going to invite me into this? And so eventually I come back and I pull away and I refocus and I go, God, what do you think about all this? What do you think? Like, what do you think about this that's going on? What do you think about this? And eventually I come to this idea that I just got to trust Christ. I got to trust him that he's working on it. I got to embrace him i got to know him. i got to have this relationship that is so deep and so intimate and so transparent that there's so much more than what you can just experience here in an hour. He wants to be invited into each detail of your life daily. But some of you aren't to the point where you have secured eternity. Some of you are not to that point where you have prepared by having the Holy Spirit inside of you. Some of you haven't come to that moment where you have fully surrendered your life to Christ and given it all to Him. Had that moment of saying, Hey, I, I've heard salvation, I've heard the talk baptism. Maybe you're like me and you didn't know kind of what a minute the time and what you're doing exactly, and that's okay. But you have to have this moment of surrender at some point in your life because you only have one shot at this life, and we're all going somewhere. And are you going to the wedding feast or are you going somewhere else? Because you have to answer for that today. And if you've never had that moment of surrender, you've never come to Jesus or had that salvation moment of truly knowing God, entering into this relationship that's back and forth all day long. If you've never entered into that, I want to give you the opportunity today. Because this is the chance to have the oil inside of you, the Holy Spirit living inside of you, surrender to Him in this moment. Because that's what this is all about. Jesus is coming back. He's going to grab the church and He's going to the wedding feast. And are, <laughs> and are you a part of the wedding party? That's the question. Because I was offered that opportunity. I was given that moment. And I am so incredibly thankful for that. And while it all didn't go away in a moment... My constant pursuit of God, because he was pursuing me, I had this relationship. And through this relationship and working together, man, I went on a journey. And God desires the same thing for you. He desires the same thing for you. It's not just some people in this room, not just all of us. Some of us have sealed our eternity, but if you haven't sealed your eternity, this is for you. This is for you this morning. This is for you to prepare It's your chance to be prepared for that moment. So I want to give you the chance. I want to give you the opportunity this morning to receive that. And so we're going to pray here in just a moment. And I would ask that the people in this room that have secured that, that know that they're prepared for eternity, that have the Holy Spirit indwelling inside them, and that they know God and they know Christ and they know the Father and they know the Holy Spirit, that you would pray for those people this morning when we pray here you would pray that people would have boldness, courage. They wouldn't feel the shame. They wouldn't feel the guilt. They wouldn't try to, whatever's going on, wrestle it out themselves. That they would just let it go and surrender it to Christ and put Him on the throne. Because we all try to do it ourselves and it doesn't work. And so pray for them. Pray for them this morning. And for those of you that are sitting here and you're like, I don't know what... I've never had this moment before. I've never came to the end of myself. I've really totally... Never surrender my life to Christ and let him lead me. That I want to give you that option. So I want everyone to pray with me right now. Lord, we come before you this morning and... We're just trusting you, God. We want to have a relationship with you. And those of us who have a uh, secured eternity, Lord, have prepared ourselves for eternity... You know, Lord, I just pray that we would know you more each day. That we would experience you in all the details of our life. In the Bible, in our small groups, in our mentorships, but also in the everyday moments, God. I pray that we would experience you there. Because we need to, God. We want to know you more. But then for us, Lord, that haven't secured ourselves, Lord. Haven't haven't prepared ourselves for the second coming of Jesus Christ. I pray, you, you right now, I pray that you would say these words right now, God. I pray they would say these words right now. Lord, I believe that you have sent your son to the cross, Jesus Christ, to die for my sins. I believe in him, Lord. I believe that he went to the cross to die for my sins, past, my present, and my future, Lord. All those sins. And I believe that when he died on that cross, he rose again three days later and conquered the ultimate fear, death. I believe he conquered it, Lord. But above all else, I surrender my life to you. I surrender it. And I put you on the throne. And I just give it to you. Because I've done it all. I've, I've tried. I've, I've lived a life without purpose. I've lived a life without really knowing you, God. And I want a relationship with you, God. So I surrender and I invite you in. In Jesus' name, amen.